0: This world hurts us and sometimes we are not equipped to in our hearts maneuver through painful situations and we walk into a moment even like right now with pain in our heart that has been caused by people in our lives and uh, we did not have the resource or the knowledge of how to walk through that And we grow something on our heart that ultimately becomes like a wall, becomes like a a, a barrier, a hardened thing over our wall that begins to have a negative impact on our other relationships with other people, sometimes even our connection with God. And the Lord cares deeply about even those spaces in our own hearts where maybe we've kind of swept it under the rug and ignored it He wants to bring these things out and bring healing because that is what he does. He loves us and he's full of grace and healing power. I'm not even supposed to be talking about any of that. We're supposed to be talking about how to raise kids socially. And as we have gone into this, this is what I'm feeling is, is, is a big part of what God wants to do. We'll talk about the other stuff as well. But I just want to ask that you would be open and I would be open. All of us would be open to those areas that are even uh, shielded from our consciousness in our hearts. God sees them, that cause pain and that cause a barrier socially. He wants us to be free socially, and he wants our children to be free. Mm -hmm. And God, you know, if if, if I had growing up knowledge and resource and equipment in dealing with some painful situations, it would have spared me a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of dysfunction. Um, later on in life and um, let's raise up our kids in this place and in this time to not go through those things but to have the resource to be able to maneuver through life through pain okay I'm going to pray but I'm going to say this one last thing before we pray is you and I cannot help the painful situations that come upon us do you know that and, and many times, those painful situations, whether we were abused by parents, whether we've been abused or wrongfully treated by others, whether we've been disrespected, shown indignity, whatever the case may be, we didn't choose it and it's not our fault. You can't change, you can't help what happens to you. But you know what? You can't help what happens in you. You can with god's help and god's grace and he wants to help us this morning so let's let's pray father we we do thank you that you are just that you are our father and it breaks your heart it breaks your heart every painful situation that has happened to any of your children that has caused damage and destruction lord i want to ask that anywhere where there has been a a wall a fortress built up around our heart In unforgiveness, in hardness, in self-preservation, trying to avoid a painful circumstance where we have no longer trusted you in those areas, we have built up a fortress to protect ourselves and in so doing, we've isolated ourselves. We've blocked ourselves from being able to relate in a healthy and trusting and vulnerable way. I pray God in Jesus' name that you would illuminate those areas as we gather together this morning. And more importantly, I pray, Lord, that you would come with your grace, come with your power, as only you do, to show us the way to healing. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the church, my friends, just by way of review, the church is a family. And uh, Jesus, when he was, that's what we're looking at, that's what we're building right now, that's the, the reality that we're building into our church culture here locally, is that it is a family and that... Uh, Jesus when he was starting to build what was effectively the first church the first disciples uh, separate from the uh, multitudes that were following him because of the things that he did those disciples that were actually following him because of a conviction of who he was to them in this famous sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 5 he says a revolutionary thing to them he says um, your father refers to God as your father I've said in times past that that doesn't seem like a big deal to us. That was a huge deal in that time period. That was not normal to refer to God as father. And what Jesus was doing was setting the record straight that what he's building, the church that he said He is building is a family with God as the father and we being reconciled through what he did as sons and daughters of God together as family. So we take from that that church is not simply this, a gathering, a meeting with a bunch of chairs looking in one direction. This is important, but this isn't by definition church. You and I are church and we want to uncover and rediscover ancient truths that are alive in scripture, that sometimes seem so removed from our church experience of the realities of what it is to do life together, to live together, to share our resources together and be family, crossing the boundaries that were supposed to distinguish us in the city of Detroit, that the rich aren't supposed to mix with the poor, that the black aren't supposed to mix with the white and that the, you name it, whatever, the suburbs aren't supposed to mix with the city, in erasing all of those distinctions in Christ that we become one and learn to do this thing together. And so we are a family, and uh, obviously, in the context of family, a huge part of that is raising children. And we look and we learn from the pattern of Jesus in Luke chapter 2. Jesus, as he was a child, the Bible says that during those formative years from the age of 12 through to the point that he was baptized, he grew in four developmental areas wisdom, stature, favor with God, favor with man. Now, I'm going to say uh, those in, in different words wisdom being our mental development, stature being our physical development. Favor with God being our spiritual development. Favor with man being our social development. So the four areas of development that are critical for all of the children in this church, that are critical for all of the kids that we need to impact as a church in this city, four areas of development and four areas for me, the pastor, or for you, as an adult, four areas that are still important to have as developed healthy areas are our mental development, our physical development, spiritual relationship with God, and healthy places with people, our social development. And yester- last week, excuse me, not yesterday, last week, we talked about three ways that social development, that's where we're landing this thing, social development with kids is affirmation, instruction, and discipline. Would you agree? Critical, all three critical for the social development of our children. Affirmation, instruction, and discipline. And today, I'm going to be sharing into more of what makes for healthy social living, social life, is contribution, clean heart, and confidence. Contribution, clean heart, and confidence. The three C's. Borrowing from... My friend Tyron Daniel, who leads the ministry team I'm a part of, pretty much 75% of the messages have the three R's, the 10 I's, or the whatever. I don't do that, but it just so happened, and, it, and that's what we're doing. So our goal, let's, let's make this clear for ourselves and for our kids, our goal is not just a bunch of ideas and concepts and ways to be healthy socially. Ultimately, our objective as the church is this, is to follow Jesus and in so doing, allow him to form us into his image. The idea of the church is that the whole purpose of us being in this earth and our prayer, the context of Jesus having a church on the earth is that we would be vehicles through which the kingdom of God comes, the will of God is done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the context. We're not just wanting to implement social, good psychological techniques and how to... It's, it's becoming like Christ. And, uh, and as we do that, sometimes as scary as that process is, of because to become like Christ, to put your hand in his and to allow him to lead and uh, to lose control and to give the control to him, as scary as that can be to ourselves, it brings healing every time. It brings security every time. So the makings of a healthy life are contribution, clean heart, and confidence. Let's get into it. Contribution, first off, is in terms of uh, developing social posture and how we can go into relationships in a way that develop what the Bible calls favor with man. Not that we're looking for something from them, but the word for favor means a positive, healthy relationship is contribution. And that is that each of us are here to give. And when we enter into relationship to get, I need to be popular, I need to be well received, I want these people to like me, 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 me. Those hidden motives in our heart, the thing that we need from people, that we do need in legitimate relationship, we do need stuff from people. I need something from my wife. If it's all me giving, that's not a real relationship. However, my posture is not to get from her. It's to give. And if her posture is to give, and both of us are postured to give, healthy relationship. As soon as it becomes about what I get out of it, even that subtle thing of I need you to accept me, it begins to become thwarted. So let's just uh, acknowledge that, that we come from contribution. And uh, John 3.16 says this, God so loved the world that he did what? There we go. Relationship, ultimately healthy relationship mirrors God. God so loved his expression of love equated to him giving. And healthy relationship always comes from that. And so when I was in a, um, when I was a senior in high school, I'll just uh, share kind of a vulnerable story senior in high school, actually let me me backtrack. When I was a freshman in high school, there was a circumstance that I walked through where I failed to put uh, some, I'll just put it this way, I had my space and somebody else breached that space. And instead of marking my space and asserting my boundaries in a healthy way, I rather didn't want the conflict and I hid. And I was doing well, I had a great first start to my ninth grade year, new school, new high school, but that act right there, where, I, where it was kind of like the, another lion coming into the territory of the other lion and the, you, you just kind of let the other lion take the, take the space, that act of a lack of confidence, asserting my confidence I thought that I could just sweep it under the rug, not have to conflict, excuse me, um, confront the situation. I could just move on. That act of a lack of confidence sent me into a place of a a lowering self-esteem that became ultimately two years. It wasn't until the second half of my junior year in high school that I would kind of reemerge from a deep, dark, horrible depression where I lost my way socially, where I had, it was bad. I hit rock bottom. Now, thankfully, some things came in the second half of my junior year where I where I was kind of dealt with some things and came back and kind of woke up again and, and um, asserted myself and regained a good close-knit group of friends and I felt good to where at the, Let me pause there before I even go on. What I'm wanting to say is, to share that story, one of the reasons I want to share that story, those little things, it just seemed like such a, 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 just a thing that happened to me there where that breach of space happened. And I could just kind of not confront it, not deal with it, I'll just go on, I'll be okay. In fact, in life, those critical moments that seem small and we just want to avoid them because they're painful or they're difficult, if we don't deal with them, they can become a monster. Mm -hmm. And some of us in this room today have monsters that we become familiar with. We don't even know that they're monsters anymore. They're just part of us. We think it's us, it's not you. It's the tools to navigate those situations in the way that God would. And so just to kind of finish that story, at the beginning of my senior year, I found that I was, um, I, I felt popular, I felt like I was broadly respected, and, and I remember distinctly praying at the, the last day of summer before the first day of my senior year, <clears throat> and I've shared this story, it's, it led to my receiving Jesus ultimately. It was the first time I ever remember praying and sensing the presence of God. It was such a miraculous thing, actually, and I prayed two things as I was folding my at my Roman Catholic school, we had, we had senior clothes. Our ties weren't royal blue. They were burgundy to distinguish us as seniors. And I was folding my clothes, and I began to pray, and I prayed two things. I prayed that this senior privilege religion class that I was going to have with Father Lopez, this guy, this priest that I sensed something amazing about. I, I knew, I, I, I prayed, and I felt God's presence, and I felt, I asked God, God, would you Would you, uh, anything that is in him that I need, would you use this senior year to show me? Did you know that a couple months later, he would share words that would lead to me going to my bed at night and receiving Jesus, becoming born again? The second thing I prayed in that moment was I remember, God, the pain of two years going through high school, and I don't want other kids to have to go through that. Can you help me to leverage my popularity to make every single kid in this high school, 1,000 kids in the high school, make them feel accepted and and that they wouldn't ever have to. It was like a Holden Caulfield prayer, The Catcher in the Rye, if you've ever read that book. It was like, some, by your blank stares, I'm thinking you haven't read the book. But, but uh, it's, it was like a prayer where I was wanting to save them from the pain that I had been through. I went into that school year. Uh, Focused on how can I show love? I wasn't a Christian at this point. How can I show love? How can I accept and make everyone feel good? Telling you that was one of the peaks of my life in terms of just a great season. My point being contribution. When you change your social posture from I need to be accepted, I need to get, what can this person do for me, to I am here, called by God as a son of God to give. I may not even know what I'm supposed to give tomorrow. But I'm going to posture myself. That's my heart posture with you. That's my heart posture with you. When I want to give, whatever it may be, maybe I can give a listening ear to this person. Maybe I can give a word of counsel and advice to this person. Maybe I can just, whatever the case may be, when the posture is to give healthy relationships. Okay? We good? We need to teach our kids that. Your posture is to give. Two points, two practicals on that. Making friends... Point of contribution, if you're in a social setting, young people, people with kids, if you're in a social setting and you're you're meeting new people, here's a little tip. Come from contribution, three questions in is what I call it. In other words, before you start talking about yourself and talking about what you want to blah, blah, blah and whatever the thing is, Show interest in the other person. Don't say one word about yourself, your thoughts, your whatever, ask three questions about that person that you're meeting for the first time, about them. I guarantee you, nine times out of 10, that's gonna open up their heart to you. It's a, it is a, it's a, I don't mean to sound manipulative, like I'm doing that, but it is powerful. You, you ask three questions of a person, they feel like you are interested in them. And then a second thing would be this, with little kids, I know this is obvious, but teach your little ones. I'm talking about your twos, threes, fours, five, six year olds, whatever the case is. Teach them to play what the other kids are wanting to play. <laughs> Give up what, what they want and think of others. Sandbox skills. That's an important thing. If we just always let our kids fight for what they want that is re- that's, that's setting them on a trajectory that is going to become an irritating pattern to other people in their lives. People like for you to be preferred. Okay, so that's, that's contribution. Secondly, clean heart. Unresolved pain produces walls in our heart. And some of us have levels, on varying levels, dysfunction in our social relationships because we have experienced pain leading up to this moment right now. And that pain was never resolved. And a wall of self-protection is formed that has a negative impact on our ability to truly trust and truly be vulnerable and to truly engage in healthy relationships. That can impact upon your marriage, that can impact upon your relationship with your, your kids, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Unresolved pain produces walls in our heart, and so I can remember in South Africa, if you don 't know our family just one year ago moved back after living eight years in south africa you 're leading a church, and I had recently we had recently moved to a new house, and I get this phone call and um, and it 's this lady, and she 's like. Uh, Pastor Paul, that's what she called me, uh, this is so-and-so. And And I was like, I'm sorry, who is this? This is so-and-so. And And I'm like, do I fake it? Do I, I don't, who is this person? And so she's like, I'm like, I'm so sorry, I'm not not connecting the name right now. This is so-and-so, remember I used to live next to you in the mother-in-law suite in the house next, on, in the adjacent property to you on such and such street. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, like how did you get my number? She goes on to tell me that she has experienced pain because of me. And she has been seeing counselors. I'm like, so like if you reverse this conversation, she is seeing counselors talking about me I hear her name, I don't even remember who she is. So that's not a good start in a conversation with somebody who's offended you, by the way, who's offended with you. She goes on to talk about this pain that she's been through of what what I did, and and so I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm not not quite sure what you're referring to. When you had that Christmas party, we had had a little Christmas hors d'oeuvres party, we just moved into the neighborhood, and uh, we were meeting our neighbors, that's like what we do, (laughs) and uh, we were wanting to invite some people that we had connected with on our street, invite them just to get to know them a little bit better, and we were specific about who we invited, and we invited the people in the adjacent property who had the mother-in-law, the lady who was talking to me on the phone, she was living in, which is a common thing in South Africa, the mother-in-law suite, like a cottage structure on the same property, and when we handed those invites, We specifically said, would you please pass on this invitation to your mother-in-law? We would love for her to come as well. They apparently said, Paul and Minda don't want you to, we're going to go to the sing. Paul and Minda have asked that it's just us. So as I'm hearing her story, I'm realizing, and this is one of the, it was a miracle of God that I actually remembered that detail. Because as she was saying what had happened, I was so aware, if I don't have Minda with me, who remembers all things, like I'm going to get off this phone and I'm not going to represent what actually happened well. But in that moment, I, for some reason, vividly remember telling the neighbors, please pass it on to your mother-in-law. We want to invite her as well. And apparently they had passed on, as I said, the exact opposite. Um, uh, So my point being is she went... Obviously, it was more than just that moment that caused her to go into some form of depression. There were other underlying issues with her and that kind of thing, but this was such a big deal that she ultimately, a year later, had to call me because she was wanting, and when she called me, she was wanting to get this resolved, I guess, and when she called me, she found out nothing. Never even happened. Spent a year in agony in her heart, and I'm just asking the question, how many people in this earth have lived their lives with agony in their heart because of something that was never resolved between person to person. And we can sweep it under the carpet. We could just say, oh, it was just the neighbor. I'm never even gonna have a relationship with them again. And you know what? It doesn't. Sweep it under the carpet. Small, it doesn't. We have to have biblical, godly ways of dealing with these things. And so I'm gonna just share a couple things on how to bring down our walls. You ready? Ready? How to bring down our walls. Number one, just a couple points that I want to toss our way. These things, these things that I'm about to share, look, I'm in this boat with you. These things aren't always easy. When we are confronted with real issues with actual people, it's always difficult. It always challenges. It always challenges the core, our identity. Uh, But these things will always work. They'll always be true. The first is forgiveness. Powerful. And the opposite of that also powerful. Powerful. Negative impact. Unforgiveness. Huge thing. Hear that this morning. Forgiveness. Mark 11.22. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn there with me. Mark 11.22. I just want to read this. Because forgiveness has an incredible impact, and unforgiveness as well, an incredible impact on our spiritual life. That sweet spot with god the father is heavily impacted on our relationships by our relationships with other people in so much that we forgive or don't forgive so mark eleven twenty two, jesus says have faith in god jesus answered truly i tell you if anyone says to this mountain go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen it will be done for them we, we sang about that earlier this morning powerful comment that Jesus makes there but listen to this therefore I tell you whatever you ask for in prayer believe that you have received it and it will be yours and when you stand praying if you hold anything against anyone forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins what's Jesus talking about there he's talking about your prayers rooted in real belief in God and his ability to do are powerful enough to actually change the material world But what hinders those prayers is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness will block the power that is within you to be able to release heaven into this earth. Why is that? Because forgiveness is fundamental to the heart of the one you're praying to. Forgiveness is at the core of what sent Jesus to a cross. And the moment that something is bad that is done to me, I won't forgive and yet I go to God expecting Him to forgive me, I have become prideful. I have said, I am worthy, they are not. And pride, God will always resist, but His grace is given to the humble. And I know and I don't want to take lightly the significant pain that some people in this room have encountered and the significant challenge it is to even think about forgiving. But I want to tell you, you're only trapping yourself. You're not trapping the person who did you harm. I know most of you have heard that before, but let it be said again. It's true. That's right. And God, the one who hung on a cross for the forgiveness of mankind, also because he went that distance, he has the ability, because he went that distance, to help you do the same. You're not in this thing alone. All you need to do is just be willing to forgive, choose to forgive, and ask him for the grace to forgive and to keep that person in your heart forgiven. It keeps your heart in sync with heaven. It keeps our heart from hardening. You see, the moment that somebody does something wrong to me and I don't forgive them, I build up a self-preserving barrier that begins to inhibit my ability to trust other people and to walk vulnerable vulnerably with other people and those two things trust and vulnerability are essential to healthy relationships with people the gospel is good news by the way <laughs> two points for our children teach them to forgive in the context first of family even the small stuff you know i don't i can't but, Johnny is the only name I'm coming to my head and I don't want to pick on you and make you think of. Uh, but Sam, Sam, uh, now we've got another kid. Edward. <laughs> Edward, Edward slapped me. Teach the kid to, uh, to confront, to, to, to show, to voice what they don't appreciate. But in the end, they need to forgive. And the, and the child needs to verbally, after the apology, verbally say, I forgive you. I can't explain it, but there's something powerful released when you verbalize. It's like the words come out and they can't be taken away, they can't be undone, it's, it's like set. Verbalize, I forgive you, okay? So keep, teach them to forgive in the context of family first. What happens in the family is, what will, is the launching pad, the nest from which your children will be released. They need to learn these skills in the context of family first. Secondly, teach them to guard their heart from unforgiveness. I would suggest every parent in this room be like a hawk over your own heart and over the hearts of your children. When you detect unforgiveness, that thing is going to inhibit them. If my parents had done that with me, to show me my dad is a psychiatrist, is a psychiatrist, and I told them about the challenges I was having, feeling depressed, they medicated me. I have nothing against uh, psychotropics or whatever the word is. Some people actually legitimately need it. But the medication didn't, what I really needed was I needed somebody to show me how to forgive and how to create boundaries that are healthy. Not toss Zoloft down my throat. Didn't help. And thank God he showed me things to to help me with my heart. And what I'm saying is let's be hawks in our children's lives. That unforgiveness can, can, can become a monster. Secondarily, so forgive is one. Secondarily, go to the offender. This is so simple, and yet it's like, I wonder what percentage of the time in the context of church we don't do this. Go to the offender. And it's hard. Why? It's because you have to be vulnerable. You have to admit that they hurt you. Go to the offender. Matthew 18, 15. Hear this, please. If your brother or your sister sins... Uh, another translation I'm realizing I'm I'm looking at the another translation says if your brother or sister sins against you go and point out their fault just between the two of you so church people can I ask you something did Jesus say if your person offends you to go talk to the other person in the church and in the context of saying I'm concerned can you pray with me about this person I'm I'm, I'm just wanting to pray about them and let me show you, but let me, but let me show you what they said to me. Go to that person. Right. Never do you talk to anyone else other than the person who offended you, but go to them. Work it out. And um, why? Because, number one, sometimes we are wrong. That lady spent a year in agony, and the whole time, she hadn't done anything wrong, I hadn't done anything wrong, there was just a miscommunication that had robbed from her for a year, from her emotional well-being. Go to the person. I'm glad she did. Thank God she did after only 12 months. Secondarily, going to the person keeps the relationship real. As long as I'm hurt by you, and I'm trying to sweep it under the carpet, but I'm all chummy with you, we're, 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 we're good, we're, we're laughing, relationship is fake. And fakeness will never bring what we want to bring in, into the city of Detroit. And then lastly, when you do go to the person, please hear this. The goal is not ever to give them a piece of your mind. The goal is not ever retribution or revenge, ever. And I understand that that is a real thing in our heart. But the goal has to be if you need, to trust Jesus to help you with this, the goal is always reconciliation. And Paul says, if you catch or find your brother in a fault, go to them in a spirit of humility. Mm-hmm. And so just remember, if you find someone who's done an error against you, just remember you're not so innocent yourself, my dear. You've probably hurt people as well. And you wish that they would come to you with humility uh, when you do that. So, so any kind of confrontation is always done from a place of forgiveness So before they even acknowledge what you've said, before they even do anything about it, apologize, anything like that, you've already forgiven them. And then in the spirit of humility, knowing that you yourself have the same disease they do, called sin, Mm -hmm. you need grace, you need that, you go to them in a spirit of humility, but for the sake of reconciliation, you need to let them know that there's this thing between us. And maybe help shed light, this is what it looks like to me. It looks like you've done this or you meant this. Am I wrong? And they can either, maybe they can shed light, maybe they can see that actually, no, I did hurt you or whatever the case is. And then finally is to watch our hearts in relationship. So listen, Proverbs 4.23, such an incredibly important scripture. Above all else, do you think that this is important? Above everything else, Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And I'm just wanting to cry out to all of us that our heart and the things that happen as a result that inevitably happen in this world that has issues, we have things that come into our heart on not just a daily basis, but on minute by minute throughout the day, emotions, perceptions, things, feelings that we have to guard your heart and don't let anything take root in the way of unforgiveness, in the way of broken relationship, any kind of heart. Even after you've forgiven somebody, you can still have to walk several months of keeping, for, keeping them forgiven in your soul. Guard your heart for out of it flows everything you do. To guard that space, and, and how do we do that? We notice when there's something ungodly. Anger, unforgiveness, rejection, You name whatever it may be. When we notice that it's there, immediately take it and make it part of your conversation with God. Acknowledge it, forgive them if needs be, ask him for the grace, seek him in the midst of it. Seek him to help you through that. Keep your heart clean. Some of us are so furiously busy in life that there's stuff piling up over our heart and we're just too busy to even deal with it And I want to say, stop the press. Your heart is where it all begins. Take care of that first above all else. Out of that flows the issues of life. Can you hear that? And then lastly, just last thing that we want to say, confidence. And this is not probably what you're expecting me to say about confidence, but boundaries. Here's the reality. Jesus says, Jesus asked, what must we do to do the works? No, that's another scripture, sorry. Sorry. What's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, "Love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind." And then he says, "And the second is this: is like it, love your neighbor as yourself." Am I right? To love your neighbor as yourself, you have to love yourself. Right. <laughs> it is. So you so uh, so in terms of confidence, we need to have boundaries that express loving ourselves why because we if my mission on this earth is to love other people i as i love myself i've got to love myself i've got to treat myself well and i have got to protect that which would be damaging to me so that i can continue loving other people boundaries so um jesus our ultimate pattern please hear this jesus on a cross it could have looked as though people were doing something horrible to him. And they were, in fact. I mean, they scourged him, put a crown of thorns on his head, they put this massive wood thing, told him to carry it up a mountain after he was almost dead, and then they nailed him. I mean, this bad stuff happening to them, right? Has anybody ever had something on that level done to you? No. So he's almost <laughs> on that level. It could seem like Jesus was used and and treat he was all of that here's the difference Jesus willfully chose to do that Jesus said don't think that I am not able to call right now to my father for angels to deliver me from this and he wouldn't do it like that he could have he chose to do this and so in the context of giving and loving and serving people Following Jesus will mean laying down our lives for people, but the difference is people don't determine how we lay our lives down for them. Jesus does, and we agree with him, and we do it in, a, in agreement from our hearts. Does that make sense? Yes. As, as, as long as a person is demanding it of you and you don't feel agreement in your heart, that is a breach of your space, that's a breach of your dignity, that is not serving people, that is... That is dishonoring the beautiful creation that God has made you. He will lead you to lay down your life. Don't make no mistake about it. You will die a death of some sort of your own life to serve people. But it's joyous when the father is the one leading you through it and not just those people. So the, um, I had my, my son at, at, uh, One point in life, he was being pressured back in South Africa. He was being pressured by an older friend, one year older than him, and he was kind of you know the kind of older friend that one would look up to and want to be respected by and accepted by and that kind of thing. But this older friend was pressuring my son to have a conversation on his behalf with somebody else that he didn't want to, and uh, and every day became a bit of a harassment. Of have you said it? Have you spoken to the person? Have you? And, um, and eventually, I had a conversation with him and it became enlightened, it became illuminated to me what was happening, I didn't even know this and it was actually quite troubling. And so, I, we spoke through and we realized we've gotta create boundaries. And maybe this isn't easy to do because I know you look up to him, he's older, he's actually 18 months older, he's, but uh, you have to create boundaries because if you don't, whatever relationship you do have isn't helping anyway. It's not even a real relationship. If he's not respecting you in it, it's not even a real friendship anyway. You don't have to do something. He could have said, well, you know, I'm I'm being Christ-like by just being willing to do whatever, no, no, no. He didn't feel in his heart the right thing and he created that boundary, big defining moment of confidence building in relationship. Those little skills are developed over time as we help our kids through them and as we exercise the same thing. So don't do this, you ready? Don't let uh, other people impose their will on you in the name of you being a servant of people impose their will on you strong-willed people manipulative people whatever the case is maybe you've become a doormat in relationships to people don't let other people impose their will on you if God has led you into it and you know that it's the right thing that's a different story but if people are expecting over you what you don't yourself agree with don't do that don't make Yeah, don't let other people make you do what you don't agree with. And then um, do, do this. Do identify yourself as a servant of God and in that, a servant of people. I hope that makes sense. You're a servant of God, but it's only in that context that you serve people. In other words, you don't serve God by serving whatever the wishes of people around you. It's not, it's not you serve God and you find out what His wishes are, and then you serve people in that. You do lean on serving. People who have been disgraced can have a retaliatory reaction where they try to assert their dignity and try to, "This is who I am." That is not Christ-like. And that's actually going from one ditch over on into another ditch. So we, we still lean in every relationship serving. Even those people who are jerks. We serve them. But we have the boundary. I serve God, not, not you. I serve you in that I'm serving him. Got the boundary. You're not going to dominate me. You follow what I'm saying? And then uh, we do, thirdly, speak up and assert. In those moments where the older friend is wanting you to have the conversation on their behalf when they should be having it, and it's uncomfortable for them and it's uncomfortable for you, speak up and assert, no, you have that conversation. I'm not doing it for you, that's your responsibility. Jesus's will, and we're ending it here, Jesus's will is always to serve others, but all serving others isn't always Jesus's will. Can we pray? I want to ask God on behalf of all of us to in this moment, in this instant, and let's not think that he's not as powerful enough to heal things that have been not healed for years in this moment, today. And to, and to start something of a trajectory of healing because he loves you desperately and not only does he love you, but he's also fully capable of helping you. So if I could just ask you to close your eyes, I want to ask some questions. And I just want you to invite Jesus into this space for some heart surgery in this moment. So I'm going to ask these questions and I want you to answer them in his presence to him. What unresolved moments in your life have formed walls? you come here this morning with pain from the past? You may have been a relative, a, a friend, a colleague, parents. I'm gonna trust the Holy Spirit just to bring to mind things that have never been resolved. You may have something that just comes to your mind. I just want you to not sweep that aside. Don't assume that it's not significant. As anything comes to your mind? I'm going to ask you a question. Have you forgiven the offender? If not, the obvious encouragement in this moment is to stand with Jesus and to say, as you forgave that person, I forgive. Help me to forgive. And I'll also ask you this. Go ahead and release that person. Set them free in your heart. They're free. They're free. And as that happens, you are free. You're free. You don't have to carry it around anymore. I'm going to ask you this. Have you invited Jesus to show you his way through that pain? The obvious encouragement is if you haven't, invite him. Speak to him about that pain and ask and acknowledge that you need his help to deal with it his way. Lord, we do ask you for that. Show us your way to deal with the painful moments. Bring your healing, bring your kingdom. And I ask you, is there anyone that you are presently offended with that maybe you need to have a discussion with with forgiveness, with humility, with a desire for reconciliation, but nevertheless, you need to actually speak to some things and make it right. I'm going to ask that you would just acknowledge that. Ask God to help you with that. Do the right thing. Trust in Him. He'll be with you. If you have been if you've come in this morning and you realize that there are some areas of pain some unresolved areas of hurt I just want to pray you don't have to acknowledge you don't have to publicly stand you don't have to I just want to pray link my faith with your faith and uh, and trust God so Lord we you know every area of pain and I thank you that you have already you've already found the victory you've already completed the work through your death on the cross and through your resurrection and ascension, the work is finished. It's complete. The way has been made for us to have everything of heaven in our, in our state of pain. And, and Lord, we bring before you every place of pain, every unresolved place of hurt that has caused damage. We bring it before you, we lay it at your feet, and we declare, Jesus, you are Lord of it all. You are Lord of us in the midst of our pain. We choose to follow you. We choose to invite you in. We choose to uh, accept your healing balm, your grace, your word into our hearts to show us the way and to, and to work forgiveness and to work release and freedom and healing in Jesus' name. And we thank you for it. Amen. Amen.